My name is Pastor Scott. It's a great privilege to be with you this morning and opening up God's Word and studying it together with you. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, your electronic devices, uh, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and the name of this sermon is, My Name is Legion. Uh, my question for you this morning is, have you ever come off a very busy time in your life but there was a vacation or a retreat that was waiting for you. And as you finished up your responsibilities, all you could think about was how great it was going to be to decompress for a few days or, or maybe even a week. Then your batteries would be recharged and, and you would be ready to go again. Well, I think that's what Jesus and his disciples were feeling as they came out of, we'll say it came out of chapter 4, because if you read chapter 4, you're going to read about Jesus teaching to multitudes of people. And this was following the healing of all the people that were coming to him, swarming him. At the end of chapter 4, Jesus says to his disciples, let's take a boat ride. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, keep in mind that probably seven of the disciples were professional fishermen who grew up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So this probably sounded like a really fun thing to do, uh, maybe even would feel therapeutic for them. But here's what actually happened. There's a fierce gale of wind. Waves are not breaking just against the boat, but over the boat. And the boat is filling up with water. And the, the disciples are freaking out. These are professional fishermen. It was by far the worst storm they had ever been in, and I'm sure that they had been in a lot of big storms. And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. They have to wake him up, which is a surprise because of how bad this storm is. You would think that that would have woken him up. The disciples actually accused Jesus of not caring if they lived or died. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus stood up or jumped up or was like, oh, what's going on here? I can't believe this. It reads, and being aroused, Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I kind of picture Jesus not even getting up from the cushion that he was sleeping on, maybe just kind of rising up on an elbow, rubbing his eyes and yawning and looking around, hush. Be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm, smooth as glass, instantly. Let's read this passage from Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And remember, this is what immediately followed what I was just describing to you. So Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, the demons, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged Jesus that he might be able to go with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Father, would you just take this story, this true story, and just make it come alive to us? Would you use my words to help people to understand not only what the words mean, but how they should apply them? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when Jesus and the disciples landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, opposite of where Jesus had been teaching, they encountered this demon-possessed man, a very vocal demon-possessed man. Now, we read this story, a true story, And we're sitting here comfortably in Erie, Pennsylvania in the year 2023, and we think that this sounds a bit unreal. You might think, well, maybe this could happen in a third world country or a town like Aliquippa or Shippensburg. I'm just kidding. If that's where you grew up, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry you grew up there. I'm sorry that I just maligned your hometown. Let me share with you a quote from author and pastor Chuck Swindoll. He says, Believe it or not, evil has a face. Evil is not merely a concept or something generally opposite of good. All evil can be traced back to a single agent, Satan. War, sickness, disease, catastrophes, violence, lust, addictions, pestilence, waste, relational conflicts, selfishness, All sin and all that is wrong in the world is a particular expression of evil, the unending rebellion of Satan against God, end quote. As I mentioned in the introduction, this scripture passage that we're studying today follows the great miracle that Jesus performed as he calmed the raging sea and the storm that arose while they were sailing across the Sea of Galilee. In this chapter of the Gospel of Mark, There are several more miracles that Jesus performed as he walked among the people. Obviously, he cast out a demon. But later in the chapter, he's going to heal somebody from a a dreadful disease, and he's going to raise a young girl who was dead. This chapter emphasizes the great power, but also the compassion 
that Jesus had as he ministered in various places around Capernaum. There was no need too great or too small. Everywhere Jesus went, he transformed lives. Now, for those of us who are following Jesus, each of these accounts recorded in Mark 5 paint this beautiful picture of the transformation that takes place when we give our lives to Jesus. We have been set free from the bounds of sin. We have been healed of the dreaded infirmity of our sin nature that each one of us was born with. And we have been delivered from eternal death and judgment. As we study this passage of Scripture, I want you to consider this thought. From maniac to missionary. That's kind of how this this man's life went. As we study God's Word, I hope these verses will encourage us to look to Jesus for the needs that we have in our lives. So first, let's consider the maniac. Our text reveals a man who needed Jesus desperately. I want you to notice three things about him. First is his dwelling. Second is his desperate situation. And third is his deep desire for deliverance. So let's look first of all at his dwelling, which is in verse 3. We read that he's living among the tombs. Now you have to understand, this isn't just some place that he spent some time. This was his dwelling. He lived there. He slept there. He ate his meals there. He spent his days and his nights among the dead. His life is a picture of all those who are separated from God by sin. Because when we are separated from God by our sin, we are spiritually dead. And we have no fellowship with those who are alive in Christ. People who are not Christ followers are literally dwelling among the dead in a spiritual sense. Praise God that I no longer live among the dead, but at one time I did, and so did you. Now let's look at his desperate situation. This is verses 4 and 5. The townspeople had tried to control this man by binding him with chains and shackles. But he couldn't be controlled by those restraints. We're told that he would wrench the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. This is not something that a normal person can do. This was superhuman strength. We also read in verse 5 that both night and day, he was shrieking and shouting and cutting himself with sharp stones. This guy was completely out of control. People had tried to help him, but they couldn't. Maybe he had family that that lived there and they tried to control his behavior. Maybe he had childhood friends that had known him before he had uh, given his life over to evil. But now his life was dominated by the influence of Satan. Try reading those verses while imagining that this person is someone that you know and love family, or a good friend. You would try to help, but in the process, you yourself might be hurt, both physically and emotionally. No doubt this man lived a life of despair. He lived all alone. He was rejected by everyone he knew. People were deathly afraid of him and probably avoided him at all costs. And he must have lived in physical pain as well. Remember, he was cutting himself with sharp stones. He was sad, lonely, rejected, and totally avoided by the community that he lived in. And the torment never ceased. Because remember, it says in verse 5 
the words night and day described his torment. He found no comfort or peace, only despair and desolation. Many people around us today are in that same kind of a desperate situation. Some may be your family. Others may be neighbors or friends, maybe somebody that you work with. Or maybe it's even a childhood friend who seems so different today than when you hung out with them years ago. I don't know of anyone who actually lives in a cemetery, but I do not do know people who live in despair and feel all alone. Their lives are dominated by sin. Drugs, alcohol, sexual addiction, depression. Every day begins the same as the day before in despair. They find, they find no way of escape and they continually live in defeat. This man lived a tragic life, as many people do today. The people have no hope, joy, or comfort, but they are constantly searching for that way to escape the pain and suffering that describes their life. Now let's look at his deep desire found in verses 2 and 6. In verse 2, we read that immediately after Jesus got off the boat, this man came to him. Immediately. Then in verse 6, it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. He dealt with circumstances beyond his control because none of us can control our sin in our own power. But he must have longed for the day that the suffering would end. There was a day that he caught hope, a glimpse of hope, and that day he saw Jesus. Now, let me tell you a story about a cemetery. I heard about a man who would walk through a cemetery on his way home from work each night. And one night, though, he was unaware that a new grave had been dug in the cemetery, seven foot deep. Um, He fell into it. Now, that's terrifying enough, right? But because it's so deep, there's no way that he could get out of it. And after struggling for a while, he decided, I'll just wait until morning. Um, I'll just take a nap in here. And then sometime in the morning, people will be able to hear me and they'll come help me. About an hour later, a farmer who was out possum hunting came walking through the cemetery, and he too fell into this grave. He began desperately attempting to get out, unaware that there's somebody else in the grave. The first man listened to him for a few minutes and then reached over in the pitch dark. This is something I would do. (laughs) Laid a hand on the farmer's shoulder and said, you can't get out of here. Except I probably would have said, you can't get out of here. But you better believe that farmer got out of there and quick. (laughs) Now, can you imagine the scene? I'm not talking about that scene now. I'm talking about the scene in Mark chapter 5. Can you imagine this? The man lived in torment among the tombs. But one day this boat arrives and something inside him knew that Jesus was his only hope. Now, I don't know if this man had heard about Jesus. Maybe he had heard stories about the Messiah that had come. Or maybe it's the demons inside him. They certainly did. Did you know that demons actually believe in Jesus? James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So whether this man had heard about Jesus, the Messiah, or it was the demons inside him that recognized the Son of God, he is now at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. 
Our world is filled with those who are suffering and in pain. And we may not know the specifics of their pain, but their pain is real. They long for a way to escape their desperation. But we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him, through Jesus. So we've considered the maniac. Now let's consider the master. These verses reveal a lot about Jesus. I want you to notice His presence, His preeminence, and His power. So first, His, his presence in verse 1. The whole meeting between Jesus and the man filled with demons may seem like a coincidence, like they just happened to cross paths, but that wasn't the case. The disciples thought that Jesus suggested a boat ride on a seaside holiday because they deserved a break. But Jesus had more important things in mind. Jesus went directly where he intended to go to meet exactly who he intended to meet. He came to where the demon-filled man was. Jesus knew his condition and where to find him. It wasn't coincidence or luck. It was by divine appointment. It's interesting to note that Jesus didn't do anything else while he was on that side of the lake. He didn't feed multitudes. He didn't heal sick people. He came through the storm on the Sea of Galilee to reach this one lost sinner, that one desperate soul who needed a Savior, and Jesus showed up in his hour of need. And afterward, Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and go back to the other side of the lake. Aren't you glad for the presence of Jesus? Aren't you glad he intentionally seeks the lost? I still remember the day that I was saved. I was just a young boy, seven years old. And it wasn't at a great revival like a Billy Graham crusade. It wasn't at a church service where other people were being saved. It wasn't in a Sunday school class. It wasn't a vacation Bible school. It was just me. I was the only one. And Jesus came just for me. He will do the same for you because Jesus loves you. He knows your need and He wants to meet that need today. He died for you because you are the reason. Now let's look at his preeminence in verse 7. Now first of all, let me explain what I mean when I say preeminence because that's not a word that we use every day. Although if you used it in a game of Scrabble, I looked it up and that's worth at least 17 points. (laughs) Preeminence simply means surpassing all others or superiority. Well, I think that describes Jesus pretty well. In verse 7 we read, And crying out with a loud voice, the man, or perhaps the demon speaking through the man's mouth, said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. When Jesus showed up that day, the man immediately knew that this was the Son of God. Clearly the demons had no desire to worship Jesus, but they too acknowledged his deity. That is what's required if we're to be saved and set free from the bondage of sin. If you've never recognized Jesus for who He is and your need for Him, that's what you have to do. He is the only way to be made right in God's eyes and given eternal life. The Bible gives very clear, easy instructions for how to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now let's talk about his power. This is in verses 8, 9, and 13. Jesus showed up his, showed his power in three simple ways. Well, they were simple for him. He told the unclean spirits to come out of the man. He made those unclean spirits declare who they were and how many were in the man. And he gave the unclean spirits the right to leave the man and go into a herd of pigs. Now, for those who knew this man, they knew his situation was hopeless. He lived in a graveyard among the tombs. He ran around naked, shrieking and cutting himself with sharp stones. He could not be controlled even with chains and with shackles. He was filled with a multitude of demons. Now, you hear him, uh, the words come out of his mouth, his name is Legion, and that makes us think of a Roman legion uh, in the Roman army. And at that time, a legion averaged about 5,000 fighting men, though it could have been thousands more or even thousands less. So the term legion refers to a large number of beings, not a specific number. It's a multitude. When the demon here in Mark chapter 5 said that its name was Legion, it meant that the demoniac of the Gerasenes was possessed by a large number of unclean spirits. The Bible doesn't say exactly how many demons comprised the Legion within the man. However, when Jesus cast them out, they entered a nearby herd of pigs. And Legion caused the pigs to rush down the hillside and into the sea where they were all drowned. Now, we do know the number of pigs. We're told that it was about 2,000. That detail suggests that Legion could have comprised about 2,000 demons, but we do know that the large number of demons accounts for that afflicted man's untamed nature and his great strength. Now, of course, Legion's strength was absolutely no match for the strength of Jesus. There was only one who could help this man, and he had come. Jesus immediately commanded, come out of the man. Isn't it amazing that at the voice of Jesus, Satan has to run away? We are no match for Satan, but Jesus is. If you live a life controlled by sin, you're helpless within yourself. Jesus, however, can bring victory to your soul. He has the power to cleanse your heart, to forgive your sin, and redeem your soul, and to make you right before a holy God. If Jesus possessed the power to save this man, and he did, I know that he can save any one of us. He forever defeated sin on the cross of Calvary. Jesus has the power to release you from the bondage of sin if you will only trust him. Now, let's consider the miracle. What a difference Jesus makes when he passes by. This is the same man that a few minutes before was a maniac living among the tombs, desperate for a change in his life. And in a moment's time, he went from complete despair to eternal deliverance. I want you to notice his conversion and his commitment. First, his conversion. This is verse 15. The people of the town came to Jesus, and they see this man was, that was possessed by legion is now sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And what was their response? They're afraid. As the people gathered to see this spectacle, they encountered something that they had never imagined would ever happen. 
This was the same man who had terrorized their community. He had dwelt among the dead, but now he has been changed. Jesus had made all the difference in his life. Let's see what Jesus did for this man. Comfort. He's found sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's no longer running among the tombs. He's no longer desperate for peace in his life. He's no longer tormented by demons and the effects of sin. And if you are living a life of desperation like this man, Jesus alone can provide the comfort that you need. You can come to him and sit at his feet. His clothing. He was sitting and he was clothed. He was no longer running among the tombs naked. He was dressed. He was presentable. The point is that there was a change in this man that was quite noticeable to everyone who knew him. Jesus had done a work on the inside, and it was visible on the outside. Then his comprehension. He was sitting, he was clothed, and he is in his right mind. Meeting Jesus affected the way this man thought. His mind was no longer controlled by Satan. He no longer desired the pleasures of sin, and his mind was focused on Jesus. An encounter with the Savior will change your thinking. You will no longer question or deny the power of the Lord. Your thoughts will no longer be on the things of this world or the lusts of the flesh, but on the Lord. So first we looked at this man's conversion. Now let's look at his commission, verses 18 through 20. When Jesus got into the boat to go back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the man didn't want to be alone anymore. He wanted to come with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with the one who had brought him deliverance. But Jesus had another plan for him. When a person is truly saved, they will want to tell others what happened to them. The man wasted no time. He began to share what the Lord had done for him. He told it all around Decapolis. Now, Decapolis is not the name of one city. It's describing ten cities that were in the same region. It's like comparing a county to a city, a single city in that county. As the former demoniac shared what Jesus did for him, he became a true disciple of Jesus. It's so important for us to not only see the change in this man's appearance and his behavior and his demeanor, but also to see the change in what he did with his life. I'm reminded of a verse in Acts 4.20 that says, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The Pastor Scott translation of that is, I can't shut up about what Jesus has done for me. This man changed, this changed man wanted nothing more than to follow Jesus and to hear his teaching and to show his devotion to the Savior. Basically, sit at the feet of the man who delivered him. But Jesus had other plans for him. He said, go and tell everyone what God has done for you. Now, let me challenge you in this. If you have a choice of going to yet another Bible study or telling somebody about Jesus and how he has changed your life, I think Jesus would tell you to do the latter. I'm not saying Bible study is wrong, but if you're studying the Bible and not sharing the gospel, you need to evaluate your actions based on Jesus' command to this changed man. Let me share something else with you. I know I've shared this with you before, but this is a good thing to remember when someone tells you that the Bible never claims that Jesus is God. 
Let's read verses 19 and 20 again. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Well, so what? That was then, this is now, right? A story like that couldn't happen in our modern world. Well, let me tell you a story that happened in our lifetime to a man named Jacob Kashi, who grew up in Singapore. Jacob grew up with one goal on his mind, to be a success in life, to gain all the money and possessions he could. And that led him into the world of alcohol, drugs, and gambling, and eventually he became the lord of an international smuggling network. In 1980, Jacob was arrested and placed in a government drug rehabilitation prison in Singapore. He was frustrated, and he felt like it was more than he could endure. All his goals, purposes, dreams, and ambitions were locked up with him in a 6 by 12 cell. His heart was cold, hard, and full of emptiness. Jacob was a smoker, and cigarettes were not allowed in the prison. So he had tobacco smuggled into him, and he would roll it in the pages of a Gideon Bible that he had with him. He would rip the pages out and make cigarettes. Well, one day he fell asleep while smoking, and he woke up to find that the tobacco had burned out, and all that remained was this uh, scrap of charred paper. And so he unrolled it and read it, and it said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jacob asked for another Gideon Bible and read the entire story of the conversion of Saul to Paul. He suddenly realized that if God could help someone like Saul, God could help him too. There in his cell, he knelt and prayed, asking Christ to come into his life and save him and change him. He began crying and he couldn't stop. And those tears seemed to wash away his pain and God redeemed him. He shared his story with the other inmates, and as soon as he was released, he became involved in a church. He met a Christian woman, married her, and he is now involved in ministry where he tells people far and wide, and this is a quote, who would have believed that I could find the truth by smoking the Word of God? <laughs> now, I don't want any of you to take home from this message today Take home a Bible from the pew in front of you and start rolling cigarettes. That's not what I'm getting at here, okay? That's not my point of the story. But God is trying to reach you. And He uses many different methods to get the message to people. One summer when I was on a short-term mission trip in Paraguay, we were passing out leaflets to people in a local park. And we were inviting them to come to an evangelistic meeting that night at the church. And one of those invitations quickly ended up in a trash can. But somebody saw it, and for whatever reason, they took it out of the trash can, uncrumpled it, they read the invitation, they came to the meeting that night, heard the gospel presented, and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it all started with a piece of trash. Or maybe you're a Christ follower, but you're scared spitless to share the hope that God has given you. I read a story about a guy who prayed this particular prayer every morning. 
Lord, if you want me to witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. So one day he was taking the bus to work, and this big burly man sat down next to him. Now the bus was nearly empty, so why he chose to sit next to this man was a, was a confusing thing for our Christian friend. And the timid Christian nervously waited for the next stop so he could get off the bus. But before he could get too nervous, the big guy next to him burst into tears and began to weep. And he cried out with a loud voice, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner and I need the Lord. Won't somebody tell me how to be saved? And he turns to the man sitting next to him, the Christian who had been asking God to give him a sign so he would know who to witness to. And the man pleaded with the Christian, can you show me how to be saved? So the Christian immediately bowed his head and prayed, Lord, is this a sign? (laughs) Yes, that was the sign, right? (laughs) You could almost picture God's hand reaching down from heaven and just slapping the guy along the head. Well, I hope that this has encouraged you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we read this story, and if we read it just simply as a story, it seems unreal, like something that could not happen today. But when we read it and think of the people that you have placed in our life, we can see how maybe they're not living in a cemetery, running around naked and cutting themselves with stones, but they are just as lost as that man was. Father, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in you, we have the good news. Give us the boldness to share it with somebody. And Father, for those who have not come to that place in their life, I pray that this would be the day that they would stop thinking, someday I'll do that. But first I want to live my life. God, would you just reach down today and heal people from the sin that rules their life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.